Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and as an investor, there's a lot to remember. But what should you ignore? Today, we'll welcome in three award-winning contributors to discuss 10 things a good investor should, as my grandma used to say, hey, forget about it. First, a guy whose voice you won't forget, from the Talking Real Money podcast, it's Don McDonald. And from Dallas-based Your Richest Life Planning, say hello to CFP Katie Brewer. And last, from LenPenzo.com, is it birthday boy Paul McCartney? Nah, it's just another guy with an amazing voice who nearly was a rock and roll star. Mr. Len Penzo. Later, we'll magnify Jacob's money and I'll get the brain juices flowing with my Michael Jackson-themed trivia. And now, here's a guy who can finally learn the right things to ignore... Joe Salcihai. And a happy, happy weekend to you. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Welcome back, everyone. Glad that you're here and I can be the first to welcome you to the weekend. We have a strange show. Uh, We thought we had Mr. Penzo with us, but unfortunately, something's going on in the bunker with his shortwave radio, so we weren't able to get him in. But... It's not all bad because we've got two fantastic guests with us today. Let's uh, first go to the woman who's been on here so much that she, uh, it's weird calling her a guest. She hasn't been on in a while, but man, has she been on a ton. Katie Brewer, CFP Katie Brewer's here. How are you? Hello, I'm great. Just enjoying this hot, hot weather. How long is it? You know, when you said hot, hot, I thought it was the problem that we were having with Mr. Penzo a second ago, which uh, to pull the curtain back, we've spent the last almost hour trying to get echoes uh, out of his shortwave radio. But it is hot, hot in Dallas, Dallas. I'm just repeating just to trip you up a little bit and freak you out. She's an echo. (laughs) And that voice, you can't mistake that voice. And we've been talking about him a lot lately on the show. From Talking Real Money, Don McDonald is here. How are you, my friend? What voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not- <laughs> oh, sorry, that voice, yeah. <laughs> I'm well. How is everybody out there? You guys look great. Thank you. Thanks. We have the only shortwave radio that has video, which is fantastic. Well, it's it, Marconi really intended that initially, but it was just, you know, the bandwidth was difficult. We're going to do the history lesson later. Uh, Don's yeah. friend, uh, Marconi, by the way. Don goes way, when we say Don goes way back, he goes way back. We've got a great show today. We're going to talk about what should investors ignore. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we got Don here. We got Katie here. Let's get into this. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Today's piece is inspired by a Wealth of Common Sense blog at awealthofcommonsense.com. And uh, Ben Carlson over there wrote this post, 10 Things You Shouldn't Care About as an Investor. And talking to Katie, who works with investments every day, And Don, who talks investments always on the Talking Real Money podcast, we thought that this would be a great topic. So let's chat about this, guys. And I just want to go through these in order. Maybe we'll do five. We'll take a break for trivia, and then we'll do the we'll do the bottom five. How about that? I thought I'm relieved. I thought you were going to make me guess them again, like last time, and I did so badly. What are they? Oh, Don, I wouldn't send them. I wouldn't send you the answers. Of course, last time, last time we didn't send you the answers and we couldn't get anything that was on that list. No, no, we didn't get a thing. (laughs) Unfortunately, no, I'm glad we have the answers. That's good. Yes. No game show this time, but let's go through his 10. He says it's never been easier to pay attention to everything going on with the markets, economy, individual companies, your own portfolio. People used to get their paper statements in the mail on a monthly basis to know what was going on with their investments. Now we can watch the changes in market values instantaneously. So it's more important than ever to filter out the stuff you shouldn't care about as an investor. And uh, here's the 10 things they think fit the bill. So number one on this list, how rich other people are getting. Uh, Katie, let's talk about that for a second. Do you think that's something we should filter out or is it important to kind of keep up with what everybody else is doing? I think he's specifically addressing FOMO and how ridiculous it has gotten where, uh, you know, people are starting to hear things like, oh, there was an arbitrage on uh, on these stocks and like everyone else is doing it. And if I'm sitting by the sidelines, then I'm not doing what I should be doing. And so I should jump in. It's funny because it used to be the news, right? That used to be the thing that we would say is It's like bringing up like short-term gains and losses in the market and causing people to freak out. And I think these days it's actually more social media where people are are seeing other people, quote, get rich on social media and jumping in. And a lot of times after everybody else did uh, (laughs) at the tail end of it and something that may or may not be appropriate for their portfolio whatsoever. You can't help it though, Katie. My, my, I'll put this way, a family member was making a bunch of money on GameStop, making a ton of money on GameStop. And even Cheryl, who's been married to me for almost 28 years, said, how come we're not doing this? He's made money on Bitcoin. He's made money on GameStop. What the hell are we doing? It's all over, Katie. (laughs) You're like, well, I guess we should start investing in uh, your cousin's whatever portfolio that he read off of the internet. You know, dear, it'll be a whole nother show if I do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> totally different. We could have diamond hands, Don. You, oh, we could. Oh, I see. These are real paper hands, though. Those are paper. <laughs> or wait a minute, jazz hands. That's what these were, jazz hands. Jazz hands. Uh, you know what's funny, though, that you mentioned social media is moving things so quickly. It is almost as if CNBC is print media. They move so slowly in comparison to the social media banter. Isn't that true? That's so true. Yeah, CNBC's like the slow boat. And, and there's a lot of people out there, Don, that's, that are also saying that CNBC and Fox Business are filtering the news because, you know, they only want to talk to the, quote, big people and the big people have an agenda, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you're, you're shaking. Hold the your other one. You don't yeah. agree with that. Well, the big first they have an agenda, but the agenda is not to squeeze out small investors. Small investors are going to do a really good job of doing that themselves. But don't you think, and by the way, I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> but, but still, don't you think that during the whole GameStop episode, which it's amazing that's still going on, by the way, isn't it? It's but astonishing. during the GameStop episode, um, uh, uh, the name of that company, Citadel, you could feel their PR machine, though, Don, out there trying to kind of change the game a little bit. You could just feel their PR machine trying to influence media, and to some degree, it was working. Yeah. Well, but then you see the intelligent PR machine of the the folks who run AMC taking advantage of all of this and going out and going, sure, come on, give you popcorn, bid our stock up. We were in, <laughs> We were about to go bankrupt before COVID. <laughs> we'll give you popcorn and we're going to use the upswing to uh, release. To float. Yeah. 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 We're out of debt now. Thank you. Yeah. Who has to borrow money anymore as a company when you could just go, you know, pump everybody up and get your, uh, get your stock price up and just <laughs> borrow, borrow against that. I mean, that sounds like a very sound long-term strategy. But Don, there are these uh, fintech apps. You've seen them too. That will, they're social apps that show you how other people are doing and, the creators of some of these apps, we've talked to them before, talk about, hey, this gets people more interested in it. And to some degree, I think it's cool that kids in high school now, uh, maybe it's the wrong approach, but they're actually interested in stocks and, and things where I, was, I wasn't ever interested in stocks. But are they interested in the right thing? A few weeks ago, Jason Zweig wrote a great piece in the Wall Street Journal about how, how much he hates the use of the word investing or investor to apply when applied to anything that is speculative. What is the message we're sending to 18, 19, 20-something-year-olds? 20 What's the message we're sending? Investing is a game? That's the message Vegas sends. You don't go to Vegas and play craps and say, oh, I'm investing in, in the craps table. I mean, it feels very much like the tech bubble. I was still kind of a youngster in the industry back then, but I just remember that that was the point in time that it was like everybody was an expert in what you should buy. Everybody, you know, people that had never invested before, people that you're pretty sure like don't even know what they're talking about and everybody's dropping a hint and a tip. And it feels very similar to what is going on now. The more things change, the more they stay exactly the same. It, it, that's crazy talk, Don. I know. Uh, number two on this list is what you paid for an investment. What you paid, Katie, seems very important. Do you agree with this point? Yeah, I'm wondering if he's talking more about the mutual fund internal fees or like 
you know, should you hang on to it because it's up a bunch? It felt to me like it was the latter one, you know, like, hey, if it's doing good, you don't have to sell it immediately. But honestly, like I never run across people that do that. Everybody thinks if it's doing good, they should never sell it. I, I took it differently. I thought it was like worrying about what the price is. You know, somebody goes, well, if it's a dollar, it's cheap. If it's a thousand dollars, it's too expensive when the price oh. of any security is random. But I don't know. Isn't that funny that multiple people that have been doing this for years and years <laughs> couldn't even quite uh, get what the exact I think expenses was. do matter. So if he's talking about that, I think he's dead wrong. Well, that's that's how I took it at first too, Don, was expenses. And then I took it the way that Katie did, talking about buying individual stocks versus index funds. But overall, I do care what I buy and I do care the price that I buy it at, but I don't think about it in terms of up market. You, you know, like I was online today. I was in some silly Facebook forum because you have to be uh, looking around and seeing what's going on. And I want to just poke both my eyes out sometimes as I read yet another person going, you know, this market feels high to me. Mm-hmm. How many times, Katie, do people come into your office or you talk to them in your calls and they're like, Katie, the market seems high. So I think we should probably pull back a little bit. Oh, I feel like I'm that person. <laughs> but I told my clients, like, you know, I feel like I had my rain boots, my rain jacket and my umbrella on for the last like five years waiting for the market downturn. That's always really pretty on schedule. It's kind of like a train like it doesn't maybe arrive like to the minute, but it's going to arrive within the, the five minutes plus or minus. And uh, it has it. <laughs> it's, yeah. I feel like it's me, but I'm not telling people to take their money off the table. I'm just telling them, hey, FYI, like if everybody thinks it's going to do nothing but go up and then all of a sudden it actually corrects, please just don't be surprised because that's what markets do. But I love the fact that you say that because it's one thing to feel the feeling, right? Because mm-hmm. I've had feelings before that I thought, man, this is sure to happen. Like this is happening now. But acting on that feeling, Don, is a totally different game. And if you act on it, you're going to be wrong probably more than you're right because of the simple fact that in aggregate, stocks have risen more than they've fallen. They have to because they represent the economy. So therefore, if you rely on just feelings, you're going to be wrong more than you're right, which reduces your odds to negative. You're you're not going to, you can't win and you can't know the future. We know that. We know that logically every single one of us, but we do get a, we we get obsessed with it, with predicting it. This is where I was hoping that uh, Mr. Penzo's shortwave radio was working correctly because he'll be the first to tell you that he's called 17 of the last three downturns like he has correctly called them man he invented the downturn huh (laughs) he's the downturn (laughs) machine he's he's predicted so many and yet they haven't happened he's got horror stories that he's told before on the show about how ugly it is Uh, number three on this list the amount of time and effort you put into your investment so you should ignore 10 things you shouldn't care about as an investor, the time and effort you put into your invest. I don't get that one, Don. Well, I I kind of agree with it if it's what I think it is, because I think we think that the more work you do, the more money you'll make investing. Uh, When the reality is you're basically, I don't care how much time you put in, there are people who are have offices with thousands of people and better computers than you'll ever get and a faster connection to the exchanges, they're going to beat you. So quit worrying about it and just invest 
based on your risk tolerance and do something you'd like doing. What about the people though, Don, that say that uh, index investing that you're talking about is, is really for lazy people? It is. It's for totally lazy people. But the fact of the matter is you are unlikely to be one of the winners. So you might as well, there will always be experts out there playing against each other for those nickels and dimes, actually fractions of pennies. And you can't beat them. So instead of trying to beat them, just be them. But Katie, do you remember that uh, there was that Superman where Lex Luthor played by uh, Richard Pryor? I'm going way, way back to the- Man, woo. Wow. Superman's- where he was collecting all those half pennies that Don's talking about. You know, he collected them all and he had billions of dollars. Isn't collecting the half pennies where the money's made? You know, I always tell people that there's an itch to scratch. (laughs) This sounds ridiculous, but I'm like, just put parameters on yourself. If you're going to go play, go play. But take whatever your total is by 5% or by 2% or whatever and make that your play money and don't think that you're going to retire off of that. If you do, great. Awesome. You had 2% of your portfolio in something and it went gangbusters. Like, awesome. Yay. Maybe now it's worth 10%. I actually feel like it's better to just go ahead and address the behavior <laughs> and put parameters on it than it is to just kind of keep beating people down with, you know, just buy and hold. It's boring stuff. Because I feel like they'll, they're more likely to actually do that if they get their little like play pot of money that they can do whatever oh, they want. I've with got it. an idea now. I've got to start a new investment advisory firm where, where we do the common sense for 98% of your portfolio. Yes. And we take everybody's 2% and every year we do a junket to Vegas. <laughs> All yeah. the clients. Like for everybody. We're everybody. just going to put everything on red for everybody. Big Vegas party. Yeah. Number four on here. This is when I see, I see people, and Katie, we'll stick with you. People get caught up on one-year performance numbers. Oh, I'm going to say even my, even a family member that is of the greatest generation <laughs> always had a tendency to go back and look at the, I think it was Money Magazine maybe, that does like the top performing whatever. And then of course would always put those in to the portfolio. And sometimes it worked out and sometimes it was just a big crap show. Um, and it's essentially because U.S. versus international can perform differently in different situations, like different companies can perform differently. You know, I know like healthcare actually was something that a lot of people jumped into because COVID is in the news and they're like, how can healthcare, you know, ever do poorly? It has nothing to do with if it's in the news or not. It has to do with the underlying facilities and underlying businesses that are under it. So yes, one year numbers really don't tell you a darn thing about the actual investment. If you are actually going to look at performance numbers, you need to look at at least five and preferably 10. There are some that are not even around for 10 years, but even with that, it's like, well, what's in it? You're not betting on horses here. Like if you could bet on 25 horses, then that's what investing is. But you're not just betting on a horse and hoping that that actually gets you there. What are you doing instead then? So if you're not looking at investments over a certain time frame, uh, because you know everybody does with their 401k. When I would go speak at companies back in the day, everybody would go look at the one-year track record on whatever's in their 401k and they put their money in that one. 
Right. Yep. Diversification often looks silly in the short term and risk management can seem useless, but over the long term, then that's what is going to bring your returns to you um, with lower risk. And so, I mean, that's essentially it. I don't think looking back at past returns, basically period, is a good way to choose a fund or or anything uh, for that matter. I mean, Van, uh, DFA has done multiple studies where they've shown that the top quartile of funds over five years end up, the vast majority of them, about 75% of them, end up in the bottom quartile over the next five years. Well, why wouldn't I then, Don, why wouldn't I look at the past year and invest in the stuff that was the lowest year? The, the That's year. actually probably a better way, although I've never studied it, but it's a contrarian solution. It is, but you still don't get the filter for quality out of that. But the reality is, is I think you just do it right to begin with. You quit trying to pick what's going to be the best place. You have your U.S., you have your international, and I know U.S. has done great over the past decade. If you look back at the past 10 years, you go, why am I in international stocks? The U.S. has done so well because people forget that from 2001 to 2010, those international stocks would have saved your derriere when the S&P 500 lost 10% over 10 years. Number five on our list. And, and I feel like I'm going to stick with you, Don, because I feel like this is what you guys talk about all the time on Talking Real Money. Your IQ. Don't pay attention to how smart you are. We're all above average, right? <laughs> right. What, yeah. What's the Lake Wobegon thing? We're all, we're all above average and better looking. Better looking. Well, and, and you know what? I'll give you. You, you may be better looking. You can have that one. You may be a better driver. Sure, you can have a high IQ. I'll give you that one too. I might even give you a better lover, but I'm not going to give you a better than average investor. You are not going to be an above average investor. Which brings up a point, Katie. I was reading again the other day about Vanguard's assertion a few years ago that uh, a financial advisor in your corner can add 3% to your portfolio return. But was it was interesting about that was this piece right here was that they didn't get it through what a lot of people think, which is superior stock picking or superior investment picking. They got it by helping you with behaviors that are actually going to move the needle. Right. I mean, it's kind of like if you knew that you had a problem with overeating and if you hire a dietitian to essentially help you create the meals and to hold you accountable to not eating an entire bag of really tasty truffle chips, which I may have done yesterday or may not. I am not admitting it. Um, <laughs> Neither admit nor, nor deny guilt. <laughs> I, will not, I will not totally admit it. But I mean, it's, it's essentially having somebody to hold you to what you said was really important to you and kind of help to bring you back whenever all of this other noise comes up, whenever other people are supposedly making money hand over foot. I mean, I really feel like when I describe to clients, you know, what I do, I'm like, it's, it's the fact that I have the background in it, that I'm in it every day, but also the fact that I can hold you accountable to what you said that you wanted to accomplish. And I feel like that's one of the top three things that I do for people is just actually holding them accountable to what they said they actually wanted to do. So isn't then a good financial advisor someone who is more of a money shrink than a money manager? I think it's a combo of both actually is is the best. But I do know a lot of money shrinks and they like to 
dive into uh, a lot of things that are not related whatsoever to um, investing or goals or anything like that. It's it's like, let's clean up all the garbage from uh, <laughs> when you grew yeah, up. Yeah, I just mean that it's, it's holding your feet to the fire. It's keeping you pointed in the right direction and not letting you deviate, even if you insist. No, you can't deviate. I'm sorry. Except in my firm where apparently I I work with a bunch of millennial and Gen Xers and I give them that 2% uh, <laughs> wiggle room. <laughs> right. You got to give them that. Hey, uh, we're going to come back. We got five more of these, but Doug's standing next to me and he's super excited about today's trivia question. So let's get on it, guys. Hey, stackers. It's your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, in years past, today's holiday would have really put me over the edge. But with the new and improved Doug, International Panic Day, eh, it's nothing but a walk in the park. Sure, there's always something that shouldn't be happening. They hear like, you know, OG's loud chewing or Joe telling yet another Bavaria story. But no, 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 no. That's all just water off a duck's back, which doesn't it bother a duck that water doesn't stay on their back? Should they worry about that? I mean, they should worry about that, right? <laughs> see, see, it's just, it's nothing. It's creeping back in, but not today. Negativity, not today. So we'll keep it cool as a cucumber and get you today's trivia. It's simple, nice and easy. Today just happens to be Paul McCartney's birthday. The Beatles star was born in 1942, nearly eight years after Len Penzo. No? Oh, we're supposed to make old guy jokes about Don today? All right, I'll switch over to Don. Okay, got it, got it. All right. Well, moving along, Michael Jackson caused quite a bit of drama when he bought the publishing rights to the vast majority of the Beatles catalog, even outbidding McCartney himself. So the question is this, how much did Mr. Jackson spend on the Beatles catalog? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can bust out the karaoke machine and blast some Beatles classics. All right. Normally on Fridays, we have a competition between our three contributors, but OG is not here. Len is not here and Paul is not here and we don't have enough people to do that. So instead, it's a one-time Super Bowl competition between the great minds that are here today. Katie versus Don to see head to head who's going to come closer. Now, uh, uh, Katie Normally, I'd say ladies go first, but in this competition, ladies going first, I don't know if it's first, better to go first or last. So I will let you choose. Would you prefer to go first or last? How about I will go last? All right, Don. I guess that makes me first. (laughs) I I figured that out pretty quickly, didn't I? I guess that must. So uh, Doug, bring in the old guy jokes, Don. Yeah, I know. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I admit it. I am old. Beatles catalog, though. What are you thinking? How much money did I'm you I'm so old that I can't possibly remember that number. I know it was a lot. I am going to just, this is a 100% guess. I'm going to say it was $100 million. $100 million. Katie, you think he's too high or too low? I think he's actually too low. So what's your number going to be? So let's say $140 million. 
I actually thought it was higher than that. But, you know, I have no idea how much music rights cost these days. You would have been right with anything over 101 then. (laughs) I know. I always screw this up. (laughs) She was was so nice giving you a little room there. I know. That was really sweet of her because if it's like 119, I'm good. Well, we'd like to let you know if you're good or not, but we don't do that here. We're going to be right back with the answer. Wall Stackers, with all this talk today about investing, you know, investing in yourself makes a lot of sense. And if you pay off your credit cards every month, like you should, did you know with the more rewards credit card from Navy Federal Credit Union, you could earn three times the points at supermarkets, food delivery, and gas, plus one point on everything else. Your rewards won't expire while your account's open. Had to happen to me before. And you can redeem them for cash, travel, gift cards, and more. Plus the more rewards cards contactless, so you can make payments quickly and securely with just a tap of your card. Speaking of rewards, you can get a Navy Federal auto loan and get that new or used car that you have needed to get from place to place. Applying is easy. You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone. And it's so fast, you'll get a decision in seconds. Right now, rates are as low as 1.79 APR. Plus with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar, which I know I say this every time, I pause right here because it is amazing. Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar, you can shop, compare, and save, and you'll save a lot of money on your next new or used car. So whether it's your first car, your dream car, Navy Federal can help you cruise into a car that you can afford. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, open to the armed forces, the DOD, veterans, and their families like me. American Express is a retired service, retired, registered service mark of American Express used by Navy Federal under license. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Rates subject to change and are based on creditworthiness. Rate available for new vehicles. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Don, you set it off with $100 million and I could see the wheels turning. That was clearly based on some knowledge of this transaction. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> No. And Katie, you immediately thought that it was too low. Any based in anything or? I don't know. Somewhere around 300 million just jumped into my head, but I went a little bit lower than that. But honestly, I have no earthly idea how much music rights and uh, being able to collect off of that for the rest of your life actually runs. All right. One of the two of you is taking home double the money of the other person. Whoever wins this, let's see who it is. Stackers, everybody got your guesses in? All right, Doug, I'm moving over. Let's go. Hey, Stackers, it's your cool, calm, and collected trivia guide, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Even though it's International Panic Day, I'm chill. I'm chill. I mean, who cares that gas and wood prices are through the roof? 
I don't like driving much anyways, and who needs a house when you've got a perfectly suitable basement, am I right? Plus, it's not like I'm going to ever worry about the prices won't ever come back down. Wood prices are going to come down soon, right? They're coming down. they they got to be coming down. But what if they don't? I mean, sure, we could be at the top of the stock market right now. Doesn't it feel kind of like it? I mean, we're way, way up there. And, and, and you might just be buying before we hit a 40% decline, but come on! Who cares, right? I mean, oh, just... Just relax. Just relax. You and I both know the market's going to come back. And when it does, we'll all be just one step closer to death, won't we? No need to worry about it. We're just, it's its going to happen. Hey, is it getting hot in here or is it just me? I, I got to get back to the trivia answer before any of you start panicking. You definitely shouldn't panic. The question was, how much did Michael Jackson spend on the Beatles catalog? It was sound financial advice that McCartney gave Jackson when he mentioned the catalog of Beatles songs were coming up for auction, but he may have come to regret giving that advice on August 14, 1985, when Michael Jackson purchased the publishing rights to the vast majority of the Beatles catalog for a cool $47 million. And on that note, I might just go unwind and listen to my favorite Beatles song. See ya. Hey, the wow. panic is lifted. All right. I was panicked about losing one again. I lose over and over again. I, yeah, I'm, I'm overpaying for, you know, yeah. my friend's uh, catalog. You know what you did? You adjusted it for inflation. <laughs> That's it. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, because you use the rule 72 on that, Don. That's uh, Katie's uh, much closer to her 300 million number. I'm not doing the math. No, not quite. I, I don't do podcasts to do math. <laughs> Who needs math? There's no math in this stuff. All right. Uh, congratulations, Don. We'll send the check Thank for you. double the money Katie's taken home. Uh, you know what? We'll just make it three times the money. Wow. Yes. Is that, is that check going to be good? <laughs> of course it will be good. Uh. Now, normally... Normally, at this point in the show, starting next week, guys, we're going to be doing this, these shows live. And what we're going to actually do is uh, let the live audience take part in our discussion by taking their take. So next week, if you want to join us live for this show, we're going to have links. But the place where we're meeting is not yet public, meaning it's not open to the public. It's a new app coming out called Fireside. So the only way I can get you the link is in our, and this is not a come on to join our Facebook group or the stacker newsletter, but if you want to come join us live and take part in the show, and you can also take part in our trivia next week, we're going to pair each of our three contestants with somebody from the audience. So you can take part in the show. So stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement gets you to our Facebook basement, Facebook group or stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker is our email. And we're going to have the link there in a few weeks. We'll be able to give you a link specifically to go there, but we can't do that until they open up to the public. So, uh, apologize. I'm, I, I, I don't need you in our Facebook group. If you don't want to be there, I'm not trying to, uh, bait and switch anybody. Uh, but we're really excited next week. It's going to be public, but we want to know, should we, should we be camping for this? You know, like, is this a, <laughs> do we need to, to drive on down and, and set up camp so that we could be the first one there? Set up a virtual line on mom's lawn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Come join us. 
it's going to be really fun. And uh, no, you don't need to do that. Mom, I'm sure, would be happy to bring you out cookies if you did, but uh, that doesn't get you in earlier. Is there a prize uh, for the studio audience members who win the trivia contest? Absolutely. Better than mine? We're going to give away some swag. And okay. I couldn't believe the fact that uh, you don't have any of our swag yet. And I'm swag free. Katie's got this whole family that we need to clothe. So we're going to send her another shirt as well. But instead of audience participation time, because that's starting next week, we are going to do the last six guys. So let's get back to our piece. These are. Wait a minute. We have five left. I said six, didn't I? Yeah. It we is, have five, can't count right? after 5 p.m. either. Math. It's math. No <laughs> math on podcasts. Six, seven, seven eight, eight, nine, ten. Okay, that's five. I think it's maths. Math. Ma- oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm we sorry. Can't do maths. Well, of course, we have to speak like this from now on if we're not going to do the maths. <laughs> ten things you shouldn't care about as an investor. And we're on number six. That's what okay. my mouth should have been saying. So number six here, uh, financial advice from billionaires. Don, what do you think about that? We pay Only one, one, one billionaire. Ray Dalio? Buffett. Buffett. He says, buy index funds. Not Dalio. No, not Buffett. Okay. What, how did most billionaires get rich? They started a brilliant company. Is it likely you're going to do that? Eh, no. So, you know, most of them are going to say, do something, you know, build a company. No, they're not going to give you great investing advice because that's not their forte. You should go to somebody like Katie for great investing advice, a fiduciary. Katie, there is a guy who's a billionaire in Tennessee who created a company. Are we talking about? Don't you go there. Wait a minute. Not the radio guy, right? The radio. There's a guy that built a company in Tennessee. That's how he became a billionaire. Is it rhyme with Hamzy? It does rhyme with <laughs> Hamzy. Worst investing advice ever. Oh, they're, oh hey, let's, email let's, Don at talkingrealmoney.com for that one. I don't want oh, to. Uh, Dave already knows I don't like his advice. He's, uh, uh, Has he already awful. blocked you on social media? No, but he's <laughs> he, he's slammed all of us who say the same thing about him, that his, his advice to go into loaded actively managed mutual funds through a five and three quarter percent commission stockbroker is a great way to invest. And by the way, you'll always get 12% per year. The first half of that, I'm going to argue with you for a second here, because the first half of that, I agree, Don, that there are less expensive ways to invest. And yet I don't think that's the reason why people don't get where they want to go. I mean, and and that's a responsible fund family. Those mm-hmm. funds that perform very well over time. So I don't think that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying, hey, go buy a bunch of load funds. I'm just saying I don't think that that's the problem. I do think the twelve percent is ridiculous. But I don't know that buying and for everybody that doesn't know the code down. I talk. We're talking about American funds. I don't. Oh, know, I didn't know I was allowed to say that. I don't know that buying American funds is 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 really the and, and no no no. It's just that the that. advice is to go not to someone who is a fiduciary advisor, but to go to a salesperson, a salesperson who is going to sell you what's hot as opposed to build a portfolio based on, because they don't have time. They got to get on and make the next commission. They don't have time to sit down and build a portfolio based on your needs in the future, your risk tolerance. The first question that's going to come out of one of these brokers isn't what is this money for? 
It's going to be, well, these are good. It's going to be what size annuity would you like? Yeah. Indexed annuity. Katie, that's right. Get the best kind of annuity. Katie, what's, you know, the one where you can never win, no matter what. Speaking about 20 year surrender charge. Yeah. Speaking of the maths, Katie, now that's what you start with, isn't it? Don't you begin every conversation with what type of annuity would you like? Like, would you like fries with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a menu. It's like, you know, the variable or the fixed one or the one where nobody really knows what's in it, which is actually usually most of them. Yeah. Which is sad. Because I do on yourself. I do. Th- oh, don't stop. <laughs> Sorry. Your own bank. Yeah. I'm, I'm not bank. going. I'm, guys, I'm not taking that bait. We're going to move on. <laughs> number, number seven. For those of you that don't know what Don and Katie are talking about, I'm not even going to tell you because we're not going there. Go number look it seven, up. How much could you have made if you would have only put 10000 into Dot, dot, dot. Ooh, Katie, you were talking earlier about FOMO. Isn't this the one? <laughs> Had you only done the thing back then, you wouldn't have been so stupid. But what I felt like was kind of funny to me is that I'm not sure any of my friends or clients would know what they're talking about when the, if you had only put 10,000 in, but everybody who's ever been in financial services knows exactly what he's talking about because every illustration is randomly based on if you had put $10,000 in 27 years ago, you would have a bajillion dollars now. <laughs> it's always 10,000. I don't know why. It's it's very random. I think the Morningstar chart started 10,000. It, it is. Maybe that's 10, why it was all Morningstar. Thanks, Morningstar, for giving us the uh, what would your $10,000 be worth someday. So, Don, you think Morningstar FOMO is a real thing? Morningstar FOMO? No, I think Bitcoin FOMO is a real thing. When people say, if you put $10,000 in Bitcoin back in 2011, you'd be worth half a billion dollars today. How many times have we heard about the guy that bought pizza with Bitcoin, right? Yeah, the one guy. Yeah, the one guy that bought pizza and that pizza is like $3.4 million. I don't even remember the number. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Uh, number eight, success in other areas of your life. What does that mean, Katie? I mean, I think it means that there are folks that have been through market upturns and downswings, and then there are people that have not. And sometimes you can have overconfidence. Actually, sometimes you can have underconfidence. There have been, you know, some people that are actually in the millennial age range that are very gun shy because they saw their parents go through just really bad timing on down markets and or kind of being over leveraged and stuff. So yeah, I think it really means like if somebody is feeling really successful, then sometimes they will take more risk than they need to be taking because they then become overconfident in their abilities because they're like, well, I'm great at negotiating my job or I'm great at, you know, leading a team or I make friends really easily. And then it's kind of investor psychology that sometimes they start feeling overconfident and, you know, picking things or, or their investing prowess. I think you hit it right there at the end. I've seen this a lot with professionals, people who are very successful in their chosen career, successful doctors, successful attorneys, you know, they think because they're so good at what they do that therefore they are good at whatever they set out to do. And I got to tell you, doctors have a real problem with this, thinking they're better investors than they really are. Why do you think that is? They're super smart. 
and they're overconfident. They have to be. To be a physician, to cut it, you know, a surgeon or something, cut into somebody's body, you got to have a high level of confidence. You really do. Yeah. Well, and then also you have kind of the peer thing. So, you know, if your peer group is who you kind of compare to and you ask advice of, then if there's one person who's making bad decisions, then it's like just, you know, everybody that person is connected to is like, this person's the smartest person I know and they're doing this. So it mm-hmm. kind of goes back to the, you know, comparing your returns off of others. I I work with quite a few physicians as well and I, I they tend to do peer investing and that, you know, if somebody mentions something to them, then it goes up the ranks in their mind as far as something that would be a really great investment, even if they haven't evaluated if it makes any sense at all for them. You heard of this Bernie Madoff guy? You know, <laughs> I've been making a lot of money with him. That Because this other person you're saying, Katie, is so smart that they probably did the analysis already. Yes, so- exactly. But everybody makes that assumption. Yes. And so it's like, Four people down the line and nobody's actually done any due diligence on it or, you know, (laughs) or even evaluated if it makes any sense with their goals or their portfolio. Number nine on here is timing the market perfectly. I don't think we need to go into that. I think we've hit that one a ton during this discussion. I want to pause here, though, on the last one which is producing alpha in your portfolio. A lot of people, Don, don't know that term alpha. What does that mean? That means performance over and above a stated benchmark or an average, that you're trying to get more money than you would have got if you just were average. And why is that not important? Sounds like what I want to do. It's great if you can do it. It's just, I think he's saying you don't want to chase after it because it is such a difficult thing to do uh, that most of the time you're going to do better than, you're going to do better than average by just being average. Which is kind of, Katie, what, why I really like what you do, which is, you know, create a plan with the end in mind and forget about the average, right? Just good enough for me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it usually results in a lot more risk than somebody needed to take or would even want to take if all they're doing is just chasing performance and chasing performance and chasing performance. Um, and then so it becomes almost it an obsession. From FOMI into, to FOMO into FOMI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. Well, guys, let's have some fun and helps. <laughs> wow. Did my voice just crack? Hey. People say that puberty. sometime done after 53, I will hit puberty. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be it'll, it'll be good. Let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Katie, when you head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you know what happens? Tell me. You Tell f- me now. You find out that those savings accounts, those checking accounts, those banking things that you're using at your brick and mortar bank might not be the best in class. In fact, there are tons of banks and institutions online with great reputations. In fact, I got my Ally uh, savings account through Magnify Money. But if you go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money, you see them all ranked head to head. And while you don't need the best one, you want to have a good one. We want to focus on low fees, availability of the money, right? Have everything you want, checking, saving CDs, all rated against each other, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And today we're going to help our new friend, Jacob, magnify his money. Say hi, Jacob. Hey, Joe and OG. Got a question for you. My wife and I are 24 
and trying to get started tackling our finances seriously. We bring in about 4200 per month and have about 3000 in expenses each month, including a student loan minimum payment of $365. Currently, we have 144000 in student loans, with 30000 of that in two private loans at 6.5% and 8%. The rest is owned by the government with an average interest rate of 4%. I'm in graduate school with four years left until I earn a doctorate and a projected 30,000 loans that I will need for that. After graduating, I aim to land a job as a college professor, earning an average 77,000 annually, according to Glassdoor. We have a $2,000 emergency fund, 6,000 in a Roth IRA, 1,000 in an Acorns investment account, and 4500 in a savings account. I'll need a new car soon, and would like to pay cash, but we would also like to save for a down payment on a house. I also know that starting early on retirement is the best way to do it, but we are not sure where to start. Which of these do you think would be best to tap? Well, and of course, our recorder cuts off Jacob, but I think we know at the, the end of that The end of that question is, which do we tackle first? How do we prioritize these? I got to say one thing, guys, before I turn it over to you two amazing experts, which is I love getting questions like this from 24-year-olds. That that was the part that I liked the best of the whole call. I went 24 and he's thinking about it. So great. Absolutely. And not thinking about Robin Hood and stocks like we were talking about before. Like, like, what's the hot stock and how do I get diamond hands? Nope. Thinking financial planning. I know I I occasionally get the 20 something year old client and I always say, well, I just wanted you to know that you are officially the overachiever because in general, everybody is just partying in their 20s. And then and then one day they wake up and they're 30 something and or they got married or they have a kid and they're like, what have I been doing with all of my finances? So super kudos to Jacob for actually thinking about this stuff when you're 24. So and an extra 1200 bucks a month over and above living expenses. They're doing the long-term retirement stuff. They've got, I love the acorns thing, the forced savings. So great. Oh man, this is really nice. Well, except for the big student loans. Yeah. Well, let me start here before I turn this over to you guys. Cause I'm just going to say one thing before we begin. And that is that uh, I tend to agree with our friend Clark Howard, who recently said that if you can avoid buying a car new or used right now, do it. Because this is a horrible, there are rarely times when it's a bad time to buy a car. This is a horrible time to buy a car because of the chip problem in new cars. New car prices are high and uh, uh, dealers don't feel the need to have to really shake the tree like they do sometimes because there's no supply which means also then used car prices are through the roof. Great time to sell a car if you've got an extra one. Horrible time to be buying a car. So I'll just say, Jacob, before I turn it over, out of all those right now, if you can hold off on buying that car for a little while, maybe a year or two, I think that's going to be a great idea. But Don, let's start with you. What do you think? Well, I agree. I agree on the car. Um, I think that public transportation, if you have, you happen to live in a place that has great public transportation, when you buy a car, you forget about the insurance and the upkeep and the maintenance and, and you're paying, you're overpaying for a car now. Anyway, the thing that bothers me the most 
is the six to eight percent student loans. Yeah, that jumped out to me too. I really don't know of two, I don't know of any investments that will provide you with a guaranteed six to eight percent return on your money. I would be focusing on those, although I like the idea of tossing a little bit just to keep the habit up of doing a regular contribution to the Roth because he's starting early. But I think the first thing I'd tackle would be that uh, those big loan numbers, not the fours, but the six, the eight, and then the sixes. But Katie, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a wrench in here. You know, on one hand, Don's talking about optimization, which I like, but on the other hand, there's this human goal of, he talks about a down payment on a house he wants pretty soon, right? Mm -hmm. Not optimal. You know, that, that obviously owning a house is not a great quote investment that your house you're going to live in. There's a ton of upkeep and, you know, property taxes and all this stuff. But how do you think he goes about getting that? Well, I'm going to kind of back up to just knowing folks that have gotten their PhDs recently. You almost always have to move after you get your PhD to get your first gig, kind of first full-time gig in academia. So to me, I would make sure that Jacob takes that into account. That if he's really wanting to buy a house in a year, is that actually a house that they're going to keep, that they're going to stay in? Because just in my experience, usually you end up relocating after you've gotten your PhD, and that would be kind of awful to have <laughs> flushed all of that out. And if we did end up at the peak of the market right now, and they end up kind of trying to time it and in three years selling it. So as far as like the timing of buying a car and buying a house, I would tell them to really think about if that is optimal for them or if that's something that maybe could be put off for like four years until they are completely done with school and kind of end up in their actual full-time gig. Is there a general crossover point that you have an amount of time you want somebody to stay in a house before you're like, okay, that's a good idea versus renting? It really just depends. I mean, if they if they are in an area where there's a big rental market, then I feel like it's something where they may be able to flip it from a house they live in to a house that they rent out. But then again, I've had so many clients that thought that was a really great idea. And then they started doing it and realized that they really hate running a side business where they have to annoy people all the time to quit like you know, uh, throwing parties at their property and actually take care of the lawn and stuff like that. And especially if in your 20s, that's probably something that you don't really want to be doing with your spare time. So, I mean, there's not necessarily like a distinct amount of time, but really like five years would be much more I, optimal. I was just going to agree with, I've run a lot of calculators online for this because it comes up on the show all the time. And uh, five years seems to be the number where it starts to make financial sense after all the costs associated with buying a house. And at, your point was great, Katie. It was so great because as a, you're, got, you're likely going to move. And then before you get tenure, you're in a tenuous position. You may have to move to another university within a couple of years after that, just because you're not tenured yet. Yeah. Uh, which is why I love a big emergency fund. Mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be a lot of change and having that emergency fund, which ends up being maybe part of your down payment later on or, or working toward that car program. And that's not efficient, but it certainly is going to give them the flexibility needs. Now, the cool thing, Don, about your Roth IRA contribution that I like is that if he ends up needing that for house, he can take it out. I don't think you really want to do that, but the contribution can come out later. 
Right, but the other thing is it gets him into the habit of that retirement savings at 24 years old. Because let me tell you, you put a couple hundred bucks a month into a Roth IRA at 24, and there's little or no chance you're going to be anything less than a millionaire when you retire. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of if somebody kind of figures out we've got like a thousand to twelve hundred dollars per month, and they're always like, which one thing? I feel like throwing that money into savings for a couple months and then just splitting it, like you know, a third, a third, a third. So a third goes to like paying off some of that private loan. A third go of it just keeps going towards savings, so that you have the flexibility to do what you want for the short and medium term goals. And then a third of it goes towards something that's longer term, which might be the Roth IRA or, or you know, might be the Acorns account if they want a little bit more flexibility or maybe they split it between the two. How King Solomon of you. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, people are always like, what's the one thing? And I'm just like, why not? Two or three, you know, I feel like if you do more than that, you kind of lose sight of where the heck the money is going. But, you know, there's really no no downside of, you know, being able to either refinance that private loan or pay it down with some dollars and being able to save up for the long term, but also giving yourself some flexibility for those short and medium term goals. Back to behavior, back to behaviors. Thanks for the question, Jacob. If you've got a question for our crack team here, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and we're happy to answer your question. And because Jacob was brave, we're also going to send him some swag from the Stacky Benjamin Show. So thanks for uh, asking the question, Jacob. And once again, congratulations on, on thinking about planning at a younger age than any of us usually see. Wow. Hey, that's going to do it for today, kids. I can't believe we're done already, which which is, by the way, an inside joke because we took almost an hour with Len trying to get his stuff going. So we've been here a lot longer than we've been recording. So let's uh, let's find out what you guys are doing. Uh, Katie, how do people get a hold of you in your practice if people want to talk to you more? Yeah. Uh, my website is yourrichestlifeplanning.com. So you can check it out. We've got a blog there, yourrichestlifeplanning.com slash blog. I know it's very <laughs> unique. Uh, on Twitter, it's Katie Y-R-L. So K-A-T-I-E-Y-R-L. And uh, yeah, that's how you find me. There it is. And thanks for hanging out with us again, Katie. Um, Don, if people don't know the Talking Real Money show and they've listened to us for any length of time, I don't know what the hell's going on because we've been- I don't know how they missed up. it. We've been <laughs> chatting you guys up a lot. But as you know, and as everybody knows, I love the show. But instead of them hearing me crow about you, uh, tell everybody what they get when they come to Talking Real Money. Talking Real Money. They get talking about real money. We talk about money. It's a podcast, and we do it uh, pretty much every day. Sometimes I even do do them on the weekend. So there's tons of stuff there. It's me and Tom from uh, – Tom used to be on Sound Investing with Paul Merriman. I was on Sound Investing with Paul Merriman for a while. So you can check it out on all your favorite podcast services. Oh, and just since the last time I was on Stacking Benjamins, we have started our YouTube channel. So we now have some of our shows we do as videos, too. So you can actually see this ugly mug in addition to listening to the voice. Live in the dream, Don. I know. Live in the dream. The YouTube channel just put in Talking Real Money in the search. Talking Real Money. No matter what, just type in Talking Real Money. It'll come up somewhere. Speaking of Paul Merriman, as we record this, uh, Paul just joined you guys recently for an episode. Actually, Paul's going to do an episode with us every two weeks. 
So Paul will be a regular on the Talking Real Money podcast and on the uh, on the video cast. That's a bonus, man. I get you. I love and, Paul. Um, and we get Paul, who's just so fun to hang out with. And that guy's forgotten more about financial planning, I think, than all of us have yeah. ever. Oh, and you really want the best part is I'm now taking the pre-show banter and putting that up as a special additional video cast. Wow. So you can like go behind the scenes. We take the pre-show banner at Stacking Benjamins and call it the show. <laughs> That's pretty much right. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it. I, I didn't know there was anything else. That's awesome. Okay. And cool. we will link to both Katie's practice and Talking Real Money, both YouTube and TalkingRealMoney.com on our show notes page at StackyBenjamins.com. All right, Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable discussion. It's not worth thinking about other people or getting everything perfect. Make a plan that works for you and stick to it. Second, take even more advice from our roundtable discussion. What do you want most? Prioritizing your goals will help you decide what you should do with your money and what to ignore. But the big lesson... I know I was putting on a show and keeping it cool, folks, but I just can't take it anymore with so much to panic about. Why am I even sitting here with you wasting this time? I mean, this basement could collapse any minute or, or you know, the Fed could change interest rates. They're never changing interest rates, right? I mean, they can't do it. There's no way they can up the interest rates. It's just, it'd be anarchy. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To hear more from Don McDonald, tune in to the Talking Real Money podcast. For more Paula Pant, just listen in on the Afford Anything podcast. And to see what Len Penzo is up to, just head on over to lenpenzo.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Saul Cihai. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe, and it's all free. It's called The Stacker, and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you... Don't put off tomorrow anything. You can put off until the day after tomorrow. That's way better than tomorrow, the day after tomorrow.
Uh, let me just pull it up. Just uh, say, welcome to some random day. I lose track here in the basement. <laughs> There's no light down here. That's what we should do. And my little marks on the wall are fading. I think it's day. <laughs> I think it's day or it could be night. It's year nine, day number 146. <laughs> By the way, part of the reason uh, I didn't want to do this live um, and I'm, and, and which is how Katie made the cut too, because she's an Android user. Starting next week, it's. I felt like I was like 90 years old when I was emailing back and forth with Karen. <laughs> uh, starting next week, we're going to do this live in front of an audience, which will be fun. But I want to just make sure later on this week, I'll ping you later about making sure your audio works, um, yep. so that we don't spend an hour doing it. But, um, Len, Len, you've got like an echo. Say hi. Hi, hold on. Uh, oh, no, I fixed that. Um, it isn't echo so much as you're just repeating yeah. words. Which is which is uh, feedback of your, of you've got something looping back into your source. Uh, okay, let me hang up. Because yeah, I can I, I delay. Nice shirt, by the way. Oh, he's gone. He's gone. You got rid of him now. <laughs> he kicked us to the curb. Do, do we got a Len? Yeah, do you see me here? Yep. I see you and keep talking so we can make sure there's no check, 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 check. Hello. Oh, keep I going. Your feedback. Yeah. There's just a little bit. Blip, blip. Len say hi. All right, let's see if this, is this any, any better? Oh, you're so close. Really? I went, I actually went from a, I went from, from wire to hard, hard wire to, to wi fi to see if, see if that would have fixed it. You say I actually went from Seriously? hard hard wire to Y Y Wi Fi. Is is what oh, you just really? said? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? It's like really. Yeah. Do you need, do you need to go know, stop no. all of your like Bitcoin servers down in the basement? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it could be. There's no nobody here in this house. So maybe reboot. Um, uh, I guess I could try that. All right. How's this? There he Ooh. is. You're, wow. you're here. better. Yes, it's it, it is perfect. You sound like you again. Oh, I do. Okay, well, there that's was awesome. Boy, boy, that gets disturbing, man, man. Uh, okay, very good. It was Uh-oh. funny because he just started doing it. Again. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it. Okay, Lynn, sing like a sing like a thing from yeah. Hamilton. So yeah, talk. Make sure that- yeah, talk for just a little bit for us. Yeah, yeah. Four score and seven years ago to go. Yeah, you I, don't can, I can still hear. I can still hear an echo. Whenever we've had this problem, now that I think about it, it's the it's the earbuds. <laughs> it's something about the Bluetooth. I don't know what it is. I'll try this lefty. If, if this doesn't work, I'll, I'll hard hardwire in. Do you have hardwired cans? Yeah. Len's got a nice Let set of cans. <laughs> Let me try that. Len, what the? I have no f- freaking clue. Is there anything else running? There's nobody here. I am the only only thing on. His is- video is too clean for this to be an internet issue. All right. Guest, one more. One more guest. I'm going to trade in my sparkling water for beer. I'll be right back. You- <laughs> You're like the time just ticked. <laughs> This is why I imagine Len. if we would have. Tried- yes. Len's back. All right. Speak to me, Len. Uh, uh, hello. 
Can you hear me? It's still okay, still delay. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go to go to my activity monitor here. Is it you have like TikTok something? Just oh, there's a kernel task. Always oh, look at this. There's a kernel task here that's totally. I hate it when those things pop up. Okay, okay. Let me let me let me cancel. Let me cancel this. Let me kill this. Hopefully, I don't kill everything. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.